Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of B-Side. All right, and welcome back to B-Side. We have, for only the second time on B-Side, our guest today, KJ. You might recognize him from the, the flagship podcast, Talking Pictures Trivia. And we are going to continue on our conversation about Home Alone. And this conversation today, we'll, we'll see where it takes us, but I think we're going to be looking at um, a few different characteristics. Farce, slapstick, probably this idea that KJ had, which uh, is one of the reasons why we're doing this together, on uh, the fantasy and the mundane, and how the Home Alone movie um, reveals the, the kind of the fantasy before jumping back into the mundane. There's this kind of pocket of fantasy that Kevin experiences, buttressed or surrounded or bookended by um, what KJ in our, our offline conversations has referred to as the mundane. So welcome to B-Side, KJ. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. This is actually my third time on B-Side. There it was is. a Planet of the Apes, there was the Fonton, mm-hmm. and now we are here for Home Alone. Yes. Good to be back. Good, yeah. Our first conversation on B-Side? Is that... <laughs> It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is the first time we are are free from the reins of um, the uh, strict rules mm-hmm. of talking pictures trivia, and we are you know we can say anything. Yeah, really. we're we're just talking a lot, and everybody loves that. <laughs> yeah, that yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start off with where that this conversation is inspired by, which is this idea of the the fantasy and the mundane world. Can you talk us through the, your kind of initial thoughts on that? Sure. Um, it it kind of starts with what you're saying tom the reason we buy the movie ticket for home alone is is the the home invasion that marv and harry pursue um and kevin is able to defend with very eight-year-old solutions to how to defend your house um and we we have that part of the movie and and it's great it's really enjoyable and it's what you remember it's what was in the ads it's it's how the movie's marketed but there's a lot more to this movie besides that one scene. I mean, that 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 scene is the is it? It's not the cornerstone. It's not even the heart of the movie. It, it's it's again. It's just the marketing and the um, the the reason we go to see it. And on this latest watch, I was wondering why does it work so well if that 17 minute segment is is the is why we we hit play every year on Home Alone to watch the movie, or or is that the reason? we watch and what does the movie do to prep us for that how does that work to that transition into that and out of that um and and one of the things i i realized is that kevin McAllister's world at the beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie is a very simple common world that we all experience but when he's home alone his world is very different um and i wasn't sure if it was different enough to actually call it the mundane and the fantastic something like harry potter i mean in in harry potter it's very obvious when harry is surrounded by muggles and and his aunt and his uncle um and and when he's at hogwarts where where it's fantastical um whereas in home alone it might not be quite clear-cut but i wanted to explore the transition from um maybe it's even movie genre of the mundane into farce maybe that's the the transition that kevin is able to do during the movie yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. This idea that there is a um, there is a space 
in which Kevin can kind of do things that he normally can't do, right? And and you know you call it the the, the fantasy or fantastical. Um, yeah, it, it is fantastical, certainly, <laughs> regardless <laughs> if it's fantasy or not. It it is, yeah, uh, it is the fantasy of an eight year old sort of managing his life. Right, like a lot of those things wouldn't work in yeah. real life. You're, you're not going to fend off Harry and Marv with the the tools that that Kevin had used to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and and so it seems like the, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, this idea that we are moving into the the fantastical. Um, in in my estimation of it, there's this this farcical element. You know what I was saying, and what uh, Nick is kind of making fun of me for <laughs> in the podcast, <laughs> which is you know that it's it's kind of uh, that it's uh, farce. That there's this like little farce in the middle of this longer, somewhat sentimental holly, holiday comedy. Um, and I I doing kind of research for this B side. It seems like the the better term or the more specific term would be slapstick. Um, well, so before we jump into calling it slapstick, I wanted to go through a few other scenes that I thought were farce, but maybe not slapstick, or, okay. or maybe they are. Sure. Um, so certainly there's the home invasion, right? Mm. No doubt about it. That is certainly farce. What about the scene where Harry is showing Marv that he knows when all the lights are going to turn on in the neighborhood? Mm-hmm. That also felt a little bit like a farce because... Trying to think through how this would actually work in the real world. Mm-hmm. I guess in 91, 1990, when this movie came out. 90. In, it was in 1990. 90. Mm-hmm. In 1990, um, in order to have your lights come on like that, they weren't smart devices. You weren't doing that from your phone, right? Mm-hmm. They were timers you were putting in line with the lights, mm-hmm. most likely. And I, I guess I don't know exactly, but um, I remember in 2000s, you could put a timer in line with your lights that would say, come on at 9 o'clock. Or you could say sometime between 8.50 and 9.10, so it was a little bit off. Mm -hmm. But in 1990, I think it would have been the exact time every night. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, sure, Harry could have known that. But all those neighbors happened to do it within seconds of each other. Like, did they all set it to 8 o'clock and then they were just off? Like, So that seems great. It's a lot of fun. And Joe Pesci does a great job with just, you know, pointing at that one there and that one there. But... Even that felt like a farce, right? That that that, that would that fit in a in a straight movie? I I mean I I think it, it it's whenever you have the wet bandits on, I think you're dealing in this other realm that we're talking about. Whatever you know, whatever word farce or slapstick or or, or whatnot we call it, that space. Um, and actually, I want to propose a term. I want to pro- uh, not a term I invented, but a term that would describe it, uh, which hopefully we'll get into, which is is carnivalesque. Um, carnivalesque. carnivalesque yes I yeah, like yeah. It. yeah. Um, but I, I think that space is always uh, um, we're always in that space whenever the the wet bandits are on the screen so even with the um, you know with the lights turning on and like the stupid little glee in Joe Pesci's eye and how impressed Marv is um, I think all of that is of a of a piece right? sure Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree completely. And even in the beginning of the movie where Harry is in the house dressed as a policeman, he's he's in a uh, a carnivalesque scene. <laughs> I mean, I guess that whole scene's kind of carnivalesque, but um, everybody else doesn't feel like they're in the same world as he is, even though they're in the same room. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think what you're... I think he... 
I think the that scene is more is very economic in the sense that we're able to introduce the wet bandits or a a representative of them anyway, um, and also have the pizza guy there, and it allows us to see the um, the conflict that Kevin is dealing with, which is namely he's this individual in this chaos who's kind of marginalized. In the in the podcast, I referred to them as the, the the family, the kind of oversized family. I think there's eleven kids and four adults, um, which is is honestly my nightmare. Like a fifteen person entourage to the airport is <laughs> it like it I, like I want to get a vasectomy watching that scene. But anyway, um, the, the uh, they're kind of the Furies, right? The Furies from um, uh, ancient Greek ancient greek myth is you know these these kind of demons come down and haunt you and drive you crazy and it's only through this kind of redemptive process that they're made into the humanities these kind of um uh, uh helpful isn't the right word but it's the first that comes to mind um and and so i think the wet bandit you know harry in that scene is we're able to introduce him and in so doing set up the Furies because it's from his perspective uh, and from um, the pizza delivery boy's perspective that we're seeing just how much chaos is going on, right? It's not, we're not just alone in the chaos watching it. We actually have an outsider who's, who, who's taking the same position we are. Um, so, yeah. So I think I think the 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 movie even outside when the wet band inside there's a little bit of a fantastical element. I mean, well, keep pulling the thread of the farce. Are, is um, Marvin Harry in one genre of movie and almost everybody else in the movie in another genre of movie? Is it as simple as that? Yeah, I think so. I I, I think that's one of the things that's uh, almost disappointing about the movie upon rewatching for me is that um, I, I saw this as a child and I just remember the pranks the the you know, th- that type of thing. And remember wanting to kind of stage them in the backyard and, and, and all that type of thing. Um, and there, there's such a small percentage of the actual movie. Most of the movie is, you know, Kevin learning how to live on his own. It, it's, you know, it's like watching somebody who's 23, who just graduated college, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the rest of the movie. Uh, or it's about the mother trying to get back to, to her well, son. But even Kevin, uh, even the, the scenes with just Kevin, there's a lot of fantastical scenes there too that I I think they might fall into the farce category um, mm-hmm. or this carnivalesque category. How about sledding down the stairs? Right, that that would never work. <laughs> that, yeah, you'd hit the bottom of the stairs and the angle. I mean, the sled would mm-hmm. break, your legs would break, something would break. It 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 wouldn't have lined up down the door outside. Mm-hmm. Not that that's important for the movie, but I think it makes it a different part yeah the the, i mean things work very well for kevin um the everything lines up so that he's left home alone um he he's able to find money and sort of manage uh the there's the phones don't work and apparently no neighbor is home for christmas no one they know no one in the town including uh you know like when the police come and they knock on the door there's there's no response, which triggers nothing in the police. The fact that a child has gone missing, apparently by by all all facts they have, is, is not alarming to them. They just go back to their so so yeah the 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 premise the absurdity of the premise um, 
goes deeper. The, the premise is absurd, right? Not just the not just him dealing with Marv and Harry, but the entire setup to that. Um, but it's absurd in a different way, right? It's just it, it's too perfect so that he could be home alone. I, I still think we haven't kind of like pierced out what you mean by um, the 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 fantastical and the mundane. What is the mundane, right? So we we have this idea of of um, because my idea of of applying it's not my idea it's it's Bakhtin's idea of the carnivalesque um, isn't really is is positing um, the I guess what you're calling the mundane as sort of the real world and then the the slapstick elements as a, a as a disruptor sort of beneath kind of churning and looking to to upend what is is normally there. It seems like when you talk about the mundane, um, it's more of um, a Peter Pan type thing, where we're in the real world doing our real world things, and then something happens that pops us into a different type of space, and then later we're going to pop out of that somehow. Yeah, absolutely. So in Home Alone, the, the mundane is in the beginning when he's with his family. And then every time we see the family, right, they're, they're running through the airport, which is a little extreme, but not out of this world. When they're on the plane talking, nothing surprising. When they're in France, that all seems very ordinary, very, very straight. Um, and there's even scenes with Kevin that seem kind of ordinary, like when he goes to the uh, grocery store. There, there's nothing fantastical there. I mean, there's the, the witty banter between Kevin and the, um, mm-hmm. the uh, cashier. But all in all, those are all straight scenes so when i say the mundane i mean things that aren't necessarily have to work out or not work out for kevin Mm -hmm. in a catastrophic or a you catastrophic way um and i think there's a lot of scenes in the movie that are just either moving the plot along they're still entertaining but Mm -hmm. um there's nothing crazy about it even when um kevin's mom meets john candy Mm -hmm. that that's completely plausible that Mm -hmm. that's a that's a viable way of getting home um, mm-hmm. So, what what I'm kind of interested in in Home Alone is where are the barriers? Right in Peter Pan, there's a clear, clear barrier. I'm, I'm more familiar with the the Disney movie than uh, the original writing or something. But in that, we we start in their their house. It's night. They sing a song and they can fly and they fly to Neverland. So that that barrier seems to be that song or that that window that they fly out of, right? And that's the window they come back into at the mm-hmm. end. I'm pretty sure. Um, where are the barriers? If this is a, if this is an, uh, if this is an idea that holds water, where are the barriers in Home Alone? Is it when he first wakes up that first morning? Mm-hmm. How does he transition from the mundane to the fantastical? That might give us more of a clue, if that is a, a good reading of this movie. Yeah, I, it, yeah, I would say the the distinct barrier between. So if we, we're defining the, the fantastical as these kind of little elements of um, th- these little elements in which things either work out too well, or are we defining the fantastical as him engaging the wet bandits? I, I think it's uh, the former there. Um, I think it's broader than just the wet bandits. Um, okay. Because, they're, they're, again, there's the sled scene... Um, I'm trying to think of other ones that don't involve the, <laughs> the wet bandits. Um, oh, mm-hmm. uh, when he orders pizza, yeah, and he that scares works out. the yeah. That's mm-hmm. again that I I mean imagine literally doing that. He's rewinding like he had the, the 
time marks queued mm-hmm. up for the movie. He had that that TV was loud enough to be heard out there at that level. Like so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah. It's it's just him, him kind of living as an adult and also beating up people. <laughs> um, I, is that living as an adult? I, I living as an adult would have been you know even now in in these days that we're living in when I order food I'll put a table outside um and we use credit card to pay but I, I could easily leave cash on the table outside and then the guy would drop off the pizza and take the cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's I guess a ch- there's it's living on your own filtered through a, a child's eye, right? And it's- a child trying to protect themselves from mm-hmm. the fear so- of ordering pizza. Right, he, he is he afraid that he's going to be found out? Like, why does he chase it, the pizza guy away to begin with? Yeah, it it seems like um, I don't know. I I guess maybe he thinks that there's got to be an, a voice, an adult voice there to represent him. Um, but also, it seems like he's doing it for fun. <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> he seems like you know I I need to appear like an adult, but also I want to scare this person because you know. And it's also the pizza man has been here before, right? So like he doesn't he he doesn't know that he's not aware that the there isn't a mobster living here that he's met these people. But yeah, so it just and then he doesn't report it to the police. Or yeah, like, yeah, it really yeah. works out way better for Kevin than it should have. Yeah, but it's I I guess it is like a kid imagining what it would be like to live on. Like, what would you do? You're you're on your own. You know, if you're eight, well, how would you do? How would you you get away with it? Is where's there money in the house and and that type of thing? Um, right. You know, oh, yep. I just order pizza all the time. No <laughs> chicken for me or, or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> right. No healthy. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I think there is that sort of Peter Pan esque quality to it as well. Um, I don't know then if there's a strong demarcation. Um, you know, the, the way the window is kind of a return to normalcy in in Peter Pan. The the, the bay window that takes them into their home. Because in a, in a lot of um, fantastical stories, that, that barrier is usually pretty clear. In Harry Potter, it's platform nine and three quarters, right? In The Hobbit, it's the edge of the Shire, right? Mm-hmm. Bilbo's living in the, in the Shire, and mm-hmm. everything is mundane and normal and farming. And then once he steps outside is when you, all these fantastical things. I want to bring up Star Wars and say most Eisley might be, but Luke doesn't really return. It's more of a hero's journey than a... Uh, a story like this where he leaves and comes back to yeah. mundane. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say ho- The Hobbit is also kind of a hero's journey. I mean, Lord of the Rings is more of that distinctly. Um, yeah, Lord of the Rings, I don't think Frodo ever comes back to the mundane. Yeah. I think his his adventure, his demons, or whatever you want to call it, follow him until he has yeah, to Yeah, he has haven. to die, right? Yeah. Which is just mm-hmm. going into the West. Um, right. Um, yeah, yep. and I, yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that uh, that, that Bilbo more returns, but he also, you know, he doesn't. And obviously, Star Wars, it's he he can't really return. But that, I mean, that's the idea of any kind of journey, right? Is that you're you're not able to really come home again. It's it's you've been changed by the the nature of the journey. And it seems a little different with with coming of age because coming of age it seems to be what's happening here. Is that yeah, Kevin's not the same again, but Kevin is also the irony is that Kevin has grown up more. I mean, it's a day and a half; he hasn't grown, grown, but he's he's matured simply by not leaving home, by not going on the journey, right? True, but I think the the difference is 
in Kevin's case, once his folks are back, he's going to return to most of his old habits. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's going to order pizza on his own again. I don't think he's going to go food shopping on his own again. Um, whereas Bilbo could adventure outside the Shire. He knows that um, mm-hmm. Harry can jump into the magical world whenever he needs to. Um, Alice could go back through the the hole to get back into. And she does. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and sequels and stuff. But um, yeah, so I... I, I don't I, I I don't know if I agree so much that Kevin grows up a lot mm-hmm. in this. I think he he reacts to what he has to and gets done what he has to get done, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it sticks. Okay, I I mean the the problem with that then is we have an, uh, a static character, right? Because at the end, what we when the parents come back, they say, "Wow, you went out and bought milk and and fabric softener, and you know the, the house actually looks great." They kind of look around, and the house looks together and and clean and i think all of that is meant to show that he's proven that he's not this this whiny little kid who can't pack a suitcase but actually quite capable well let's talk about the house being clean because Mm -hmm. the house (laughs) is surprisingly clean throughout this entire movie he eats that mountain of marshmallows Mm -hmm. and the kitchen is immaculate and i can tell you from experience when kids makes either a mountain of marshmallows or a crepe or anything the kitchen is never immaculate again. You will always find sticky things somewhere. <laughs> um, so I, I I think that's part of the carnivalesque, the fantastical part. And it makes me wonder, did he go food shopping? Was there milk in the... Right? He drops the, the bags when he goes food shopping. Mm-hmm. In another version of the script, they're setting up that I tried to go food shopping, but it didn't work out. And that all could have been in his head. Yeah. Let, well, so let's talk. So let's get into the the carnivalesque. I think that's this is an angle to go in, because I think I I disagree with you, and I think the movie's doing something very very different in a in in a in a kind of slapstick genre that slapstick or farce normally doesn't do. Um, I, I know I used the term farce before. I just think slapstick's more specific. I sure. so I'm gonna kind of use that not to. Not to like hide the ball or or whatnot, but just sure. <laughs> just for my sake. So so getting into this a little bit, this idea of kind of um, of slapstick, we could think of that as that's the thing that comes from Commedia dell'arte. It's literally a stick that it 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 slaps. It has another piece of wood on it, um, connected by a hinge, and you hit it together, and it makes a slap sound. So with the, these kind of comedia performances, they're, they're performances of these kind of clowns who are stock types, like, um, you know, Harlequin, Il Dottore, the Amora, you know, these things like that. And when one slaps the other or whatnot, they just with the stick. And, and so the, the, the genre or the subgenre is, um, it's kind of very much like a physical comedy that really relies on... Um, on kind of, I guess you'd say, abuse or uh, a, a lot of potential harm. Um, right, but you get it through that slap, which doesn't actually hurt them, and then it, it grabs your attention, but then you see their reaction, and then you laugh, and that's the, that's yeah, the comedy, right? Yeah, they're, they're not... Um, they are not, let's say, um, actually being harmed, right? It's it, it's everybody is, is rubber-spined. Everybody's made of rubber. Um, you know, a good example of this is I, I put a few on a list we're doing. Uh, actually, I think Ace Ventura is a good example, too. Um, but like the Three Stooges is what I mentioned there in, in our podcast, where it's people getting bonked on the head with um, 
<laughs> you know, with like heavy machinery, and it's just why well, I, I oughta, you know, <laughs> and it, it, it's fine. Um, I put in here uh, Lizzie's of the Field, which is um, uh, like a uh, a lot of automotive jokes of people crashing cars and, and falling out. Um, Mr. Bean does this. No, it's not quite as Ooh. physically harmful, so to say. Uh, um, but also you get a lot of um, uh, Buster Keaton is a really big part of this. Buster Keaton, if you've ever seen um, any of his his movies, or just put in like Buster Keaton stunts into YouTube, and I, I invite our audience to do that. They're, they're phenomenally, imp- not only are they phenomenally impressive stunts on their own, that almost kill seem to almost kill him all the time they really fall into this kind of uh, marvin harry type thing where you know he is like falling off roofs and going through six or seven um uh like what do you call them drapes or overhangs as he's going down and then like he rips through all of them and lands on the street and he just sort of gets up and wiggles his head and he's okay um and and so a lot of uh a lot of slapstick becomes very important in the silent film era. So via uh, Buster Keaton and the, the Triangle Film Company, which involves him as well as um, uh, another person we covered, um, uh, D.W. Griffith, who isn't really making slapstick so much. He's just he's just part of that um, uh, uh, part of that film production, part of that film company, um, and so. There's a you know a kind of a lot of a lot of that energy going on, and the you know so that's kind of a setup for you know what slapstick is or, or how it's kind of portrayed in early movies, and then it kind of later manifests in in things like Three Stooges in the 1950s and later on. Um, the the carnivalesque uh, comes from um, uh, Bakhtin. So we, we've talked about him before on B-Side, but Bakhtin was an early film theorist in Russia, in Soviet Russia, whose works were suppressed. Um, but he, he became very popular in the 1970s when his works end up kind of filtering out to, to the West. Uh, and, you know, he has this kind of idea of, of the carnivalesque as being this um, this sort of energetic type of literature in which uh in which the the characters sort of subvert all expectations um and what is a becomes z uh who's in charge becomes um becomes the servant the master becomes the servant the servant becomes the master uh, and this becomes kind of a, a form of art it subverts um the assumptions and dominant styles, the the atmosphere, and so that that is um, that's what's going on. It's from his book on Gargantua and um, Pantagruel, which was a, a 16th century novel, and he is using that that novel in order to talk about the carnivalesque. And he gives Bakhtin gives four categories of the carnivalesque. Um, so it's familiar and free interaction between people. So we're bringing unlikely people together, um, extremely eccentric, unusual behavior, um, uh, things that are separated kind of unite. So you have kind of high and low, heaven and hell, um, children and old people. Um, and 
then you have very profane material. So not, not necessarily profane in a, a kind of sexual way that, that is permitted, but also profane in the sense of, um, of things that are in relationships that normally are respected no longer need to be respected. So you, it could be we are making fun of pieties. It could be that um, the children are no longer respecting the adults, right? Which would probably fall into this film. And so um, the, the, the carnivalesque then is able to kind of mock the, the sort of uh, the dominant way of being in the world or the dominant culture, right? It's this kind of energy beneath that, that subverts and overturns. And a lot of arguments that I've read, and I could, I could cite some of the names of these people, I put it in our, our show notes page, um, are people like... Uh, Lisa Trehair, um, um, Bital, the, the, the French theorist, uh, among others, are looking at the early age of slapstick and seeing it as subverting a new a technocratic logic that's coming into the world. And so if we know, like, do you, ever, do you know the term Taylorization? I don't. What's uh? What's Taylorization? Okay, so uh, I think his name's Lawrence Taylor. Um, I may be getting that wrong, but anyway, he wrote in 1911 a book on um on kind of management in factories, and he is you know so the Ford factory opens in January of 1910, and so Taylor has this book in 1911 um about about management very much predicated upon look how great Ford is doing creating automobiles. And so Taylorization becomes the, the kind of means of creating a very disciplined factory model for a lot of output. Right. And so what we see in this early slapstick, uh, you know, especially like Daisies of, of the Field and whatnot, uh, Lizzie's of the Field, excuse me, and, and whatnot, Daisies of the Field is a different movie, um, is a, um, a centering of technology, of, of this new order that's coming in, and a, a subversion of it, right? So I'm picturing the, uh, the I Love Lucy scene with the chocolates. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar yeah, yeah, or something? Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. that's great, exactly, right? It's, it's here we have this factory model, you know, we need to be really productive, we need to, you know, um, we need to just kind of repeat, uh, act, repeat, act, repeat, act, repeat, and then we produce a lot of chocolates, we have a lot of stuff, um, and what ends up happening is Lucy... And and Ethel subvert that right because they, yeah. they they can't they literally can't keep up they you know they, <laughs> they get overwhelmed by they the, get yeah. overwhelmed yeah they can't get into their their human persons can't be put into this factory and so what do we have them they're eating the chocolate they're putting <laughs> yeah, it in their pockets to... <laughs> yeah you know do, doing whatever yeah. they need to do um, and so it's they're subverting that kind of ordering of the world. No, they're not necessarily consciously doing it. They're they're not, you know. <laughs> they're, well, they're, no, but the the director or the writer is. Yeah, yeah. Right. The, what you're seeing is, you know, uh, Lucy, the the um, what do you call it? The performer, the artist is Lucy. The character is, you know, is yeah, <laughs> just trying yeah. to keep up. <laughs> just trying to keep up. And so you do have, yeah. That's that's a great example. This kind of subversion, and that's kind of something of the carnivalesque or maybe carnivalesque once removed or twice removed right because um, we are you know we are americans after all and the carnivalesque has this sort of uh, uh, uh this sort of sense of a, a class society 
and you know that we don't really have here um and so i think that the what how the carnivalesque ends up getting kind of filtered for something like the the i love lucy scene is that that kind of um that kind of profane energy ends up subverting um you know kind of the mechanized order as opposed to you know like the 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 court order right a kind of regal order right because who is she who is she disrupting and against right now it's presumably her boss or the owner of the company is ultimately who's hurt by lucy not being able to keep up with the chocolates that are coming down yeah exactly so it's it's a it's a class thing based upon um economic advantage or or economic ordering um so there is this like quasi-marxist aspect to it um which is why critics in the 1970s who discovered are people like terry eagleton and 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 who for people who don't know who that is 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 a uh, kind of like a marxist literary critic um you know they they kind of they find this and go "Ooh, (laughs) this works for the way i see the world uh and and so I think that that kind of slapstick energy, that sort of chaos, um, you know, and is really, uh, really important for kind of American slapstick because it connects it in its origin to technology. And would you say it's on full display in Home Alone? Well, this is what I think is interesting about Home Alone uh, and why I think it's, it's really a, a different type of slapstick because I think it is on full display in terms of... Um, the, the physicality of slapstick, right? People take enormous tumbles, things hit with them in the head that would kill them, but they just go and brush it off and, and move on. Um, however, what would you say would is being subverted then? Well, I've been thinking about this a lot as you've been talking. Um, and, <laughs> and I have been talking a lot. <laughs> so there's two thoughts that come to mind. Um, one is if Harry and Marv are of a lower class and the McAllisters are of a much higher class, um, then you are subverting the subvert because normally it sounds like in a carnivalesque situation, well, you're having the two separated items meet, right? You're having the poor Harry and Marv meet with the McAllisters but we're rooting for the McAllisters, not the the lower class people. Mm-hmm. We're, we're rooting for the, the higher class people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Cause in, you know, like, um, yeah, the, the factory isn't, isn't blowing up. What we're looking for is, and I think it's a perfect way, you know, of putting it is that the, the people who are subverting the kind of economic order or potentially subverting the economic order are the enemies. They're, right. they're the bad guys. Yeah, we want them <laughs> yeah. to lose. And the person who's fighting them is, it's carnivalesque in the sense that we have like kids battling adults um, and also kids giving kind of wisdom to old men, as we see in the, the Marley scene in the church. Well, that's another interesting thing. So you were saying um, part of carnivalesque is the separated items, old and young coming together. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, anything seemed... kind of yeah, divided. Coming together. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in this, we have the old and young coming together with Kevin and Marley, but those scenes did not feel carnivalesque at all. Mm-hmm. That scene in the church, I think they're back in the mundane world. They're mm-hmm. they're in a real world. I don't quite know why Kevin would go to church on um, Christmas Eve. I mean, that's pretty. I mean, yeah, okay. I, I'd, at eight years old, 
wouldn't have been my first place to go, but um, you know, there are. It's, I guess, it's what it's what you do, right? I'm yeah, sure it's what his family tradition. Does. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of missing his family. He's like, maybe if I do this, yeah, okay. He's praying. Um, but so that that felt like the mundane world again, a, a safe place um, mm. where. So I didn't think that was carnivalesque. So that was going to be the one other subvert to the subvert to the subvert that mm-hmm. I was going to bring up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, you have a good point. It, it's that there is. And I think it's why your idea of the mundane really marries well with this kind of carnivalesque. Um, and I, I think your point that there isn't something particularly, there isn't, is not something carnivalesque going on in that church. I think it is fairly like, here's a kid, he's he's praying for his family to come back, and he talks to this old man, and they kind of, and, and he exhibits surprising wisdom, wisdom drawn from his his temporary time alone. Um, but there's nothing there's nothing being subverted here uh, you know it's it's obviously and and the message you know I, I hate the term message but what is let's just say what's going on in the scene or what's being communicated in the scene is you should return to your family right right swallow your pride it's it's very traditionalist and it, it's almost you know Kevin's been away from his family for a day and a half look what happens to you if you're away from your family for years mm-hmm. right that's mm-hmm. another it's it's to show the if this continued if he was home alone for 20 years or however long it's been since marley's hung out with his son <laughs> that's what you turn into it kind of gives you a scale of time mm-hmm. for this silly little movie that we're yeah going no, that's 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 a good point that that what we're seeing here is two people who are separated from their family at, at different time scales right um one is kind of ridiculous but the other is deadly serious yeah 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 mm-hmm. that's it's so mm-hmm. easy to fall into that kind of a trap mm-hmm. yeah but but generally in both cases the idea still is kind of traditionalist in the in the sense of return to return to the order of things there is an order of things right it's be with your son on christmas be with your parents on christmas be with your grandchild on christmas that's what we do on christmas there is the sense of um of the community does a particular action and we should be doing that action. Uh, we are in the bizarro world, um, and we shouldn't be. It's fun to be there for a little while, but we want restoration at the end. Um, right, similar to Peter Pan or The mm-hmm. Hobbit, where you do want to come back home to a, yeah. a familiar and normal mundane. Yeah, but and, and that's interesting then, because the, the slapstick stuff or the farce stuff comes from a world in which you don't want to go back to the mundane, right? It's about subverting the mundane, subverting the traditional. You know, th- there's a reason why Harry and Marv aren't going to church, right? Um, right. Yeah, it's, and so, you know, you 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 want Lucy to break the factory. You know, right. you, you want the detailerization of mm-hmm. society, and that's what the carnivalesque provides. It provides the chaos that, saves us this is not me talking this is me reading the critics but you want the chaos that saves us from mechanization and it's and in home alone the um the the kind of the chaos then is a defense of the home right he's defending kevin is defending his home keeping it ready for the return to to normalcy Right when the parents come back and they have Christmas, not in France, but in the right place, which is their home here in America, um, and, and you know all that stuff. And so 
it seems like what we're getting here in, is a, a sort of slapstick farce that is subverting the normal <laughs> the normal things that like silent film era and and early television era farce and slapstick did right it's 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 traditionalizing or conservatizing that normally disruptive energy i think john hughes shows us that right at the very beginning of the movie um as you've been descri describing carnivalesque and the, and the slapstick is kevin the one be the receiver of the slapstick but he's taking it personally he's getting hurt by that slapstick that opening scene where um the chorus of demons uh that is his family are is that it, it, in a slightly different way could that have been slapstick if kevin had brushed off all those insults would that have been slapstick but this is slapstick without the slap it's just ooh, at, it, it it did hurt him yeah, I, I mean, the the problem there is I think slapstick does need to be kind of physical humor, right? Okay. I, I mean, so I think we're, yeah, because if, if anybody, if slapstick is defined as um, when anybody is offended ever, then <laughs> that category sort of covers <laughs> a, a lot of room. Um, I think literally, that's why you say slapstick, because it's it's like the the sound, the kind of the physical idea of somebody getting boinked or poked in the eye or um, hit on the head matters. But couldn't the dialogue be um, slappy or sharp or... Uh... Yeah, you could have cutting dialogue. And typically you call that something like hard-boiled, where people are sort of, um, you know, using the dialogue to, to zing or cut each other. Uh, I, I think that when you're moving into a sort of verbal play as opposed to physical play you're you're changing genres because that matters right i mean you know when people are are um going back and forth with with their words we're we're in a different world um maybe a more realistic world uh maybe maybe not maybe if somebody's particularly witty we're you know it's, it's a little little over the top but um I, I do think it's a different genre. And I think it's it's hard to say that the the family drama, the family comedy at the top of the film is doing the same thing as Marv and Harry, you know, getting the, the getting um, burnt or having an iron hit them in the face. True. You, you don't have that physical, but Kevin does taunt them and mock them. And I think he learns those those skills of mockery. I mean, from his mom right at the beginning when she's on the phone and and he's rude to her and she comes right back at him with a, um, you know, a, I think a perfectly acceptable sarcastic <laughs> response. Um, so, yeah, I guess that is a different form of, of comedy there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of, uh, you know, a sort of young kid comedy or family comedy. Um, Have you ever seen um, Animaniacs? Um, it's. It's on Hulu right now, and my, my daughter's been watching it in the morning, and mm -hmm. um, I've been going up and grabbing a chair and watching because I really enjoy it. And uh, one of the characters um, in, in Animaniacs, it's a Warner Brothers cartoon uh, where there are smaller cartoons in it, like uh, Pinky and the Brain. Um, and there's one called Slappy the Squirrel. And Slappy the Squirrel is an older, older squirrel who used to be a great actress in the 50s. And her slapstick is sometimes physical because they're they're paying homage to the older cartoons but there's also a lot of cutting voice like there's a she's often 
insulting people greatly without them really realizing it. So you mm-hmm. get that slap. It's kind of shocking if you know what she's saying, but when you're the receiver, it doesn't hurt that much because... So that's kind of where I, I was wondering if there was some crossover between slapstick and a Johnny Carson-esque uh, mockery of somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I possibly. I, it seems like with the... With slapstick, it's the 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 dumbness of the character matters, and I mean dumbness in in the both the sense of um, non intelligence and also um, um, non vocality or or, or or not speaking. Um, that the the person is often um, placed into a situation where the they're placed into a situation where they're not actively um, they're not actively engaging how to say this they're not consciously trying to disrupt the world they're in right very often these are characters who are put into a situation and they're doing their best um maybe charlie chaplin's an exception um they're doing their best and they're they're just not suited for whatever they're doing and the idea is that's sort of a stand-in for um you know for the for the modern world right like well I just said Charlie Chaplin might be the exception, but if we look at Charlie Chaplin's modern times, where he's responsible for kind of keeping the engine of this factory going, and he just can't, and he gets caught in it, and he gets dragged through all the gears of, of this this engine and spit out. I think the fact that he like can't talk about what's happening, that he and he doesn't really understand it, right? He doesn't understand, you know, if you talk to the Tramp character in that film, and you said. Um, what do you think about this process of tailorization of the human spirit? I, you know, I, I think he has no response, right? He's dumb to um, the, the social realities in which he finds himself. And so the, the innovation in the carnivalesque that comes in, in American slapstick, I think, is the fact that um, subversion is no longer the intent. It's the natural consequence of trying to mechanize everything. Um, well, and you see the dumbness in Harry and Marv, right? Especially mm-hmm. the way Joe Pesci does the fetcher, 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 fetcher. I mean, that's yeah. classic um, <laughs> dumbness, so to say, in, 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 mm-hmm. bo- in both terms, right? Ha- Harry um, seems quite unintelligent with what he says, um, his solutions to ideas and things. Um, whereas mm-hmm. while they're going through the house, yeah, they don't really have a voice. I mean, every so often they'll take a break, take a step back and say, no, we're not following him out the window or... Mm-hmm. You're not going to hit me with one of those cans of paint again. But mm. for the most part, they are, without a voice, making their way through the traps. Yeah, th- there's a reason why they're not Marxists, right? They're, they're not. They're, they aren't actively subverting the upper class bourgeois culture of the Chicago area. You know, they're, they're just like interested in money and impressed and and you know th- their way of describing themselves or defining themselves is. We're gonna leave the water running in the sink. <laughs> that's that, that. There we go. That's that's our declaration. It does. It's meaningless. You know, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with it. And the the, I. But I do think there's something in what you're saying about the um the slap squirrel. What's it called? Slappy, uh, slappy the squirrel. Slappy the squirrel. Okay. <laughs> Where there is this idea of the smarter character who is um, who is setting up the problems can speak. Right. So Kevin can, you know, taunt them and they respond to the taunting. 
right they they respond to him um and i i think like critics like terry eagleton though i don't, I don't think terry eagleton ever wrote on home alone um would say that there is this kind of idea here of the the upper class person who can speak and the kind of the, the lower people attempting to disrupt the social order who can't and end up in their in their kind of um unconscious avarice way of trying to disrupt the social order um they end up constantly being silenced or harmed by their activity and so you have um you know and, and in home alone this is appreciated because they're the bad guys and we want to see kevin win he's our hero and so the the defense of the social order is front and center it's what home alone is about it's about defending um home and family right and, you know once you defend home great and now fam- yeah i would say, yeah i'd say that ultimately maybe what home alone is or one of the problems i think we had on talking pictures trivia which was part of my question, which uh, I, I don't think got explored very much, was the idea of what is this genre, right? Because it's like, it seems like a bunch of genres. But in, in this conversation with you, I think you come to the conclusion that um, that this is a, a slapstick, but a conservative slapstick or a traditionalist slapstick. And that you need that sort of... Um, uh, uh, the, the the lilting John Williams music that reintroduces family and that kind of love of Christmas and even church, right? There is mm-hmm. a kind of, uh, he goes to church and it's, it's, you know, it's not a religious movie, but... No, that's... It's a, but that's a safe place for him to mm-hmm. regroup and figure himself out, sure. Yeah, and and that's a place where people regroup. They go to reflect and and um, and elevate, so to speak. And so all of that that surrounds the the 15 or 17 or 18 minutes of, of slapstick, whatever it is, um, that they counter the slapstick, but also provide the uh, the traditionalist frame to which we want to return. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I, I think that's why this movie works so well. I think that's why Christine and Nick talked about watching it every year, why mm. we're not afraid to hit play or if, you know, if it's on TV and you walk into the room, you sit down and watch it at least for a little bit. I, I think all those elements work well together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Th- this, it, you know, if you're with your family, this is the thing to watch, right? Because it just mm-hmm. reaffirms the thing you're doing, right? right. You're watching yeah. television with your family at home. <laughs> this affirms that you know that's the good and right thing to do to watch watch television with your family at home during the holidays. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes you're by yourself without your family, but don't worry. By the end of this movie, everything will be okay. Yeah. Here's a path back to that normalcy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And anybody who tries to disrupt it is is kind of a fool, and even an eight year old can take them out. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that yeah, that's probably why people love watching this. Maybe it's why it made a gaz- what was it one gazillion or two gazillion dollars? Yeah, I, this movie yeah, made the, the box and That's nineteen ninety money, so yeah, yeah. No, it's it's with inflation, it's like seventeen gazillion dollars. <laughs> Pay off the national debt. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. come on, John Hughes. Yeah, well, this has been, I think, a great conversation. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thanks for. Uh, yeah, we, we tried to squeeze it in at the end of the episode, um, but uh, we didn't quite make it. So I'm glad we got this time to explore further. Yeah. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, thank you for uh, 
for doing this with me. Um, this has uh, been a lot of fun. I think we've come to some conclusions that we weren't able to in, in the flagship show. And I'll take us out. This has been B-Side. Thank you very much. <laughs>